following program discusses doctor-assisted suicide. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Action! Is film like milk? Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's... Mm. Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? (laughs) Welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we talk about films that have aged like milk in your uh, mind fridge. Today we have a different kind of episode and we're super excited. But before I jump into that, I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me is David William Rogers, the man with a plan. Hey, what's up? (laughs) <laughs> David, what's happening today? We have a special guest and we are going through the movie Here a While 2019, uh, directed by Tim True. It's got a couple well-known actors that uh, the audience should know. And who is our special guest? We have Deborah Lee Smith with us today. Hey, Deborah. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having. I'm like so excited to be starting a new version of your podcast just for this yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. What up? What's up? <laughs> so, Deborah, you are an actress, a producer, and a podcaster. I know you have your own podcast as well. We were just talking about how we're big fans of each other's work um, in the podcast world. So. We're excited to talk to you about here a while. Let's dive into the synopsis. David, you do it today. So we have a terminally ill woman who is going back home, basically, to see her younger brother, who she, I wouldn't say abandoned, but she had some issues at home where she had to leave with her father. She is going home because Oregon is a right-to-die state. And she wants to go out on her own terms with some self-respect. She brings her, you know, the love of her life, her girlfriend, to meet her brother. Um, They have this relationship with this really kind and kind of, uh, I don't know, we'll get into what the neighbor has. But, you know, he's a great character in this movie. And they just come together. They talk about life and death. And there's some interesting topics that we're going to get into. And, and yeah, it's uh, not the happiest ending, depending on which way you're looking at it. But it is a very interesting movie. Do you, would you say that's a fair assessment of the film, Deborah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's always fun to like listen to other people try and explain the synopsis. I mean, I agree that it is not necessarily a happy film. But we like to say that it is a hopeful film like because mm. it certainly does um you know give Anna Camp who plays the lead the ability to um end her life on her own terms which is the the whole point of of the film is to really you know bring to light this idea and so um you know we I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that you have many questions and, and I don't want to like, j- like jump ahead on the questions, but I'll just say that this, this was actually based on a true person. Um, it, we did not say based on a true story or anything like that, because obviously the person who the film was based on is no longer with us and her family um, is very religious and did not want their name to be attached to the film. So, um, and, and originally she, originally the family said yes. And then they um, decided that it would just be too hard for them. So, Mm. you know, one of the, um, yeah. So one of the really, you know, important parts of that was, was trying to stay as true to the, characters actual story as possible um but but still to you know make sure that we're we're also making it universal enough that other people who have gone through this can resonate with the characters can we jump in because now i have a question (laughs) do it okay so you say that our family was very religious so how true did the story stick to like her family? Was her father still alive or has he passed away and her mom passed away like they did in the movie? So both, so it's actually, it's, I should, it's actually the compilation of two people. So it's um, the, the, the part of the story where it is, you know, her 
um, experiencing a lot of uh, um, like homophobic um, instances from her parents that and then becoming an artist, becoming a like moving to San Francisco, being homeless, um, getting into art and how that kind of propels her career and down one path that that was one person's story. Um, and then there was a separate story about um, someone who who uses the the right to die laws in Oregon. And it's also, you know, the the uh, the writer of this, this was actually his first screenplay, but he's a um, an oncologist. He he worked with kids with cancer for many, many years. Um, now he's a consultant and that's pretty much what he does. But so it was very important to him that we stuck as true to the experience of what someone going through this would actually be going through. And um, I mean, one of the biggest criticisms of the film was the fact that they thought that Anna looked too well as she mm. progressed throughout the film. Yeah. I saw that too. And so the the interesting thing, though, is the fact that According to according to the law, according to the rules, you are allowed to make that choice um, as long as you have less than six months to live. And that last six months is often when the deterioration really picks yeah, up. Yeah, and I was speed. thinking when I read that, who's to say each individual case, how they're going to react to their cancer and their, you know, what, what they're going right. through. Right, and I was... And what I was thinking, too, was like a lot of times I think the stereotypical like portrayal of cancer that we get in media is when someone is going through chemo, because I had the same exact thought. I was like, you know, she still has this beautiful head of hair, but cancer is one of those insidious things like it affects people in very different ways. And so I read that same yeah. criticism, David, and I was like, I think that's really unfair because especially knowing now what we do, that there was actually an oncologist, you know, as a part of this team I'm sure that was extremely well researched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you're not just like throwing around. Yeah. She's like, she's got superpowers. She's doing this. She's bouncing off walls. Like, you could see she the deterioration you could see through it the under film. Her eyes, in her eyes, mm-hmm. um, just just because mm-hmm. she's not bald from mm-hmm. chemo doesn't mean she's not going through, you know, like a horrific experience. And like, she wants to go out on her own terms, and that's the the reason they have that, you know. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of like, you know, why even like this, this, it was really difficult. So this film actually came out um, in June of this year, 2020. Um, mm-hmm. Our our premiere um, at Napa Film Festival was in 2019, but the film was released on iTunes and Apple in June. And that actually just came to Hulu um, March 15th. Um, and which was like our second release and it is international as well. And it was difficult. I mean, the film came out in the pandemic, so mm-hmm. that was hard. <laughs> a lot of people were probably not like really wanting to sit down and be sad, considering everything yeah. sad that was happening in the world. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. And it was very, you know, it was it was difficult because not only was it the pandemic, but this was also the like um, epicenter of of all media attention on. George Floyd and the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter movement. And so we ended up, all of our press was canceled. We ended up completely, we basically decided to release the film kind of silently and just be like, we are putting this out here because it is, it, this is when it was slated to be released. But we also want to share space and like hold this time for the other um, important issues that are being discussed. So we're kind of going to take mm-hmm. a step back. And so that was really... Um, I mean, that was a very, like, difficult decision for the filmmakers, especially because this was their first film. But we felt mm-hmm. like it was definitely the right thing to do. And we, you know, anytime that I've been interviewed and I've talked about this film, I've talked about, like, I think that that plays even to Anna's decisions in the film itself, where she's just like, I'm, I'm doing it on my own terms and I'm making the decision that is right for me. And, and that's it. And I'm just going to leave it there. And you can take what you want from it. And that's and that's it. And I mean, not to compare it to other films that have similar themes, but a lot of criticism of other films that explore this idea of um, doctor assisted death 
they often, at the end of the film, the person who is dying decides that they're actually not going to die and they're going to hold out because it's for the best of their family. And it's ironic because you actually talk to the legislators who are trying to put together, you know, um, like laws throughout the country in order to make these changes. And they're like, no one does that. Like if they've made that decision, Mm -hmm. I mean, not no one, of Mm -hmm. course, some people do, but that's Mm -hmm. such a Hollywood romanticized version of this story. And that was not what we wanted to do. And so we wanted to absolutely bring hope and bring some happiness to the film. Um, And that's very much through Joe LaTrulio's character. Mm-hmm. But it also is just like we're not going to shy away from the which hard is, shit, which is reality. Because, yeah, right. Which is reality. I, I was the the only other movie that I could think of off the top of my head that showed like a realistic depiction was Me Before You, mm-hmm. which is a film um, about a quadriplegic, and it definitely is similar to this in that like you can see it's a really hard decision, but the person has completely made up their mind and. I think that's honestly one of the things that I loved about this movie was that it didn't like I felt like the whole way through you just knew there wasn't going to be some like 11th hour miracle like you had the brother character coming in with these these trials and and just Anna's character just being like we've been down this road and it's like unfortunately sometimes there is no Hollywood uh saving the situation so i give massive respect to this film for you know tackling a very difficult subject it doesn't have that hollywood ending which i i could argue against a little bit if you're really paying attention towards the end which i'd like to talk about at some point but um for this though yeah paris you brought that up she did go down every road i thought it was pretty heartbreaking that she was like talking to her brother you don't think we talked about this it was a miracle for us to even get through to a couple of doctors in the country that we're talking to. Mm. Like, I forget the Mm. line, but you know, get them out of pretty much like their ivory tower, their palace, because Mm -hmm. they, you know, they're pretty much gods and they, they, two of them talked to us or whatever. And they were, they're grabbing at straws and still no answers or anything that seemed positive enough for her to keep trying. So I I thought that was kind of heartbreaking. Is that is is that realistic, Deborah? Since you know the writer was an oncologist as well, like does he not, you know, into I, it, they must be so busy. I mean, they're saving lives. Like, is it difficult to reach these specialists? Is that true uh, yeah, to life? It definitely is. I mean, I think the thing, like, I, it's interesting that you bring that up because I actually kind of want to talk to the writer about this now. Um, about whether or not he was kind of making a comment on American health system. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think he was intentionally, but he's also worked in it for, you know, 40 years. So I'm sure that there was some underlying. He might might not have been like making a point about it, but it's it's like holding up a mirror to it. And like we, the audience, can make our own assessments because – I just felt her hopelessness. Oh my gosh. Like that, I think that's what really got me when I was watching it. It was like, obviously the idea that she's dying is sad, but it's like the fact that like, you know, he brings out all this paperwork and she's like, okay, well that's a first stage trial. That's a first stage trial. Like just, there are not, we're so used to being like, oh, but there's always an answer. Oh, there's always a solution. And like, just seeing that like, devastating like drawn out like no there isn't like we just have to the only answer is acceptance with the doctors she was kind of saying she's a normal person and like paris you're saying how busy they are with everybody probably sending their paperwork in so and they're just human beings but it probably feels like i can't break down these walls to get someone's attention to actually take a hard look at my file and i got a ton of respect for doctors but have you ever gone to the doctor and it's just like all right yeah, you feeling okay? You good? You know, uh, cough? No, nothing? Sure. All right, well, you, uh, you're feeling good? Well, you'll see you next year. And then you don't really get that detailed. It does seem like this main character in this film, it was a full-time job for her trying to even find the right people to talk to. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously, and 
I've I've experienced the Australian healthcare system since I lived there for five years, and I actually had a pretty major health issue when I was in Australia, and I saw so many specialists and saw them so quickly and so efficiently, and they spent time with me. And of course, I'm not saying that you know if this character was in Australia that she necessarily would have had a different outcome, but I mm-hmm. do think that there is there is something to say about that. I mean, mm-hmm. I I do also think that like as you guys were saying before. Before, you know, she, she she looked as healthy as she did because she wasn't going through chemo at that point in, in that in the movie. But she also mentions that she had done chemo previously and mm-hmm. she had done, you know, she had tried everything. And, and I think that that's also um, and she, yeah. And I think that unfortunately, I mean, again, this is based on a true person like that part of it is is true in the fact that like this person, this is the sort of cancer that they had. This is how it spread. Like all of that is based on a true person. And unfortunately, I mean, stomach cancer is one of the worst. And so mm-hmm. it, it just um, that's just the unfortunate diagnosis that she had. Well, not to break the mood, but I am just going to drink some of this booty sweat that I got into Nang real quick. <laughs> Thank you for lightening things up. Well, I mean, and listen, let's talk about the lightness in the film because I think, you know, you have this very serious um, and very realistic, you know, situation that adults like are navigating. And I think it's interesting, like Anna looks like she's sort of around our age. So you can't help me personally as a millennial put myself in her shoes. Of course, that's why we make movies because we're, you know, feeling things and expressing things but then you've got this this next door neighbor character who keeps popping in and out and he's so funny um joe latrugilio is that how you say joe latrugilio yeah trulio oh my god so embarrassing joe i'm so sorry um your name has a random g in it it always confuses me um but yeah let's talk about his character and what we kind of feel like he brought to the film because i read in an article that you know like there was like obviously the levity and then you have this like kind of character come in that sort of pop essentially it I read it someone said it was kind I of like cheers how he kept too, like popping in and, and out I thought it was a bit and harsh because they and I hate to laugh at this mm-hmm. but they compared him to Simple Jack which is kind of fucked up yes yeah which Tropic we've Thunder. talked about because we did <laughs> exactly. Tropic Thunder which is where booty sweat comes from right and yeah. and that fictional character gets like roasted because he like went too far Personally, I don't want to speak for that community, but I didn't think his portrayal was. No, I don't, I don't think it was either, um, because it's. I don't know what you guys based that character off of why you made those choices, but um, somebody with no experience on the film looking in, it was just a guy, you know, a gentleman that had those. I don't even want to say issues, but was had those things in life and. Yeah. Well, he was o- a, Asperger's and he OCD. He was meant to be a Asperger's. And Asperger's. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought, I thought he was. He had a lot of life in that character, and it wasn't over the top or too much. So, yeah, I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. I thought he brought a lot to the film. So the behind the scenes and that is the fact that um, the writer is actually has Asperger's, mm. and um, mild, but it's definitely still there. And um, and he based that character on I think I think it's his daughter's boyfriend who who he based the character on. But I mean, you know, and this is this is like the thing that I have to say, like I give so much props to the writer who was the executive producer and and then the director who was also the co-writer because because this was their first feature, they put so much research and time into the character building because they knew that that was going to be the thing that would make or break a film. And so with Joe's character, they connected Joe with a filmmaker in Long Beach that um, I knew and Chaba, the writer, knew. And um, and he has very um, prevalent Asperger's. And he worked with him for a long time, like, I mean, weeks in order to, you know, really get a feel for that, that character mm. and, and he, to make sure that it wasn't a caricature. Right. I would say that this film doesn't lean into the stereotypes that we're all expecting, which is like the super sick cancer girl. I mean, Joe's character certainly had some quirks and was definitely like neurotypical. I think that's what they call it. Couldn't make eye contact and was fidgeting and had some random outbursts. Um, I liked it. I thought it was, I mean, I'm a big fan of his, mm-hmm. so... 
Yeah. Who isn't? I know, right? right? Brooklyn Nine-Nine all day. How did he get attached to the film? So it's funny because he... So we actually were out to... We had the script out through our casting director to another um, woman for Anna's character. Um, And she was at UTA, this other actress. And she turned it down and then um that agent passed it along to joe's agent at uta and said i think there's a character in here that joe would really enjoy playing and so joe actually reached out to us which was like incredible because he was like i read this script i think it's fantastic would you guys consider me for this character and we were like uh yes you are the top of our list we didn't even think that we could even approach you but sure you can (laughs) why not um That's so flattering. Oh, my goodness. I know. It was fantastic. And then um, Anna is also at UTA. So, I mean, talk about this is where the studio system and these big agencies really do have a benefit because it was passed along to her. She, you know, pretty much as soon as Joe um, said yes, she said yes. Steven said yes. Like, it was all, like, pretty, pretty quick dominoes there. And we ended up, like, I was given the script in April and we shot in July. So it was a very quick turnaround including the casting um which was pretty awesome for that all to line up that way so I got involved with this film because I had shot a horror film um like five women in the woods in outside of Portland with some friends just like the real indie filmmaking like you do and um and that film has done fairly well and so is that uh, is that the Shasta Triangle. Yeah, the Shasta Triangle. Yes, I, uh-huh. Everybody that knows me or listens to this podcast knows that I am very, very afraid of horror films. And even when I looked at the little poster, I was like, wow, I really want to support Deborah and I will never watch this movie, even though I really like her because it looks terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a film like it's a film that like 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 the the writer and um and the director actually right now developing it into a pilot. And I think it would be actually a really good pilot mm. or, or scripted series. I personally don't think that it worked 100% great <laughs> as a film. And I'm sure that if they listen to this, they would also agree with me. Um, well, we'll be excitedly waiting for the TV show. So yeah, exactly. You heard so, it here I mean, first, that's guys. that's right. <laughs> Coming soon to a TV near you. Um, so, yeah, so we so we shot this this, you know, like I mean, we shot it for under 40 grand. Like this was a very low budget indie, you know, squatting in the back of someone's property kind of place um with permission, but still. And she's um, like with permission, don't worry, guys, don't worry. Yeah. By the no end of this episode, I'm going to be arrested. Nice. I'm going to have a TV show. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I am all for it. The SAG is going to call you and be like, "Um, so we heard your podcast." Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly um and so I I literally I was walking my dog one day and I get a call from the director for here a while and he says hi I was referred to you uh, we are looking for an LA-based producer who has shot in Oregon before are you interested can I send you the script and I was like sure okay I I mean okay um and and I read the script and very quickly was like, absolutely, where can I sign? Um, yeah. And then and then again, like very quick, like they wrote the script in December. They sent it to me in April. We shot in July. So it was a very quick, like the entire process was very speedy. That's amazing. And how long did you mm-hmm. shoot for? Three weeks. Not a very long time. Mm-mm. Yeah, so three, three, um, like two, I think two six day weeks and a, yeah, quick. no, maybe three six days, so 18 days. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's not a lot of time to get a lot of, I mean, I think the great thing about this film is that so much of it happens around the house and the house kind of becomes like a character, like it's sort of the hug that holds them all in. The, the relationships were really deep in this and it was really challenging to, live through Anna's pain of the homophobic father. Um, So you mentioned that that was based kind of on a real person. Uh, What was the story there? Like, was it very similar? Like, are we talking this actually happened to her? 
or him. Yeah, I mean that that part was very similar. I mean, we in the in one of the original drafts of the film that I actually saw, we kind of went into that a little bit more and kind of sat with her, you know, living in um, in San Francisco and being homeless, and and that I kind of convinced the writer that like that was a whole other movie yeah. and he's actually written another movie about homeless children in San Francisco. Oh, so, um, you know, that's who knows, that might be another thing that I work on. I really liked the balance of the cost in this movie, you know, like you had obviously Anna and Ellie character, you had the neighbor, you had the brother, and then you had like his girlfriend and, and the other girlfriend come in like, um, Anna's characters, the main character's partner, um, and they just kind of like really meshed together. Like I think the casting was really, really great. And I think we know somebody else that was in the movie. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, watching it and I was like, oh, I know her. Um, Mrs. Johnson played by Deborah Lee Smith. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know. I produce films in order to act in them. Um, although, I mean, although I have to say that with this one, it was because we had a, we, we had cast someone in that role and we had a difficult, like local, like person who was just a local cast member and they were being difficult. And we were like, we don't have time for difficulty on this set. Can you go into it? Were they like, I don't like my wardrobe. I need a trailer. No, they actually, it was more just like scheduling. It was, it was like, okay, we need, we need you to show up at, you know, 6am and you might be here until 5pm. It depends when we're going to be able to shoot you out. And she said, no, I'm, I I can give you an hour and a half of my time and that's it. And we were like, well, that's not how filmmaking works. So we respectfully, um, (laughs) yeah, said that we were no longer working with her. Respectfully, we have someone on crew who can do it. So bye. Um, yeah. So you, you were a bully's mother. Mm-hmm. But yes, actually, that leads me to another thing. There were quite a few kids in this movie because um, we had the different ages of the kids, right? Like we had them quite young, and then I think she's like meant to be in high school at that point. Um, how, yeah. How was that working with children on set? They say they say never work with children or animals. So yeah, <laughs> I know. I heard you talk about that in your last mm-hmm. in your episode with, about Huck. I know exactly. I mean, it was so interestingly, Sydney um, Lovering, who plays Anna, um, like the youngest Anna, she was actually our first cast member um, because her, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but she's never going to listen to this, but she, she was, um, she was one of the investors in the film. And so she, we kind of ended up building it around her but um she and her sister lexi are incredible i actually produced a short with them during the pandemic um so they're i'm sure wonderful up and coming yeah you know lovely people by the way i have i have older people that invest in film like yeah put yourself in it you know what i mean like we're just trying to get stories told so oh completely yeah um doesn't bother me (laughs) yeah no I I think I think um she like I know that with this short film that we just shot as well she's like are people gonna think less of my children because I helped fund it and I was like no absolutely not like stick with that that's amazing that you can give your kids this opportunity um and 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 (laughs) other people that because by you know investing in films like that's what I kept thinking when I was watching this movie I was like you guys okay, didn't make a huge blockbuster, but people were working, people were working together and telling stories. And to me, like, if that's not what you want to do in film and TV, like, what? Do you, why are you here? It's not great money until the very end. And right. it's not very stable. If ever. If ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... Yeah, I'm... For sure. I mean, I would say that one of my, like, things that I'm the most proud of of this film is that we had such a huge community, like, support system around this film. And part of that was because of the film um, How to Die an Organ, which is a, you know, documentary that came out a couple years before um, that's specifically about the Death with Dignity Act. I mean, at the time that we made this film, I don't know the numbers now, but, like, only 12 states in the United States allow... um, to, to oh, do, you know that, doctor assisted that's more death. that's more than I saw yeah and I mean and it may it may have gone down because I mean this is the thing is that it's a state by state it's it's dependent on the legislature and the state and so you know when we film this when we film this movie 12 states allowed it 
But in the most recent Gallup poll, 75% of Americans think that this should be an option for people. And so I think that like so many, like so many people in Oregon, when we went and talked to them about this film, like we got our catering donated. We got our hotels half off. We got lenses and cameras for so discounted. Like we made the movie that we made, we made for such a low budget in comparison to like what it would have cost mm-hmm. us because of the generosity of the Portland community. Wow. And because they just, every single person we talked to, they were like, yeah, my best friend's mom moved to Portland a couple years ago because she had terminal cancer and wanted to die. You know, like it's it's just like every single person had a personal story. Because what's the rule there? You do kind of mention it in the film. So you have to legally be a resident of the state. You can't just like rock up Correct. from another state and be like, hey. And two doctors have to sign off on it? Two doctors have to sign off on it. And I think like the, the residency rules, I'm not exactly sure, but I know you have to be there for a few months. So I think like, let's well, say it's three yeah. months or something like that. So you have to. Which is honestly the perfect conceit for this movie because of course you would in your dying days want like a short amount of time it's not like you have to live there for two years and be like hey this is a long-term plan right Um, yeah and yeah you have to have two doctors that say that you are um and this is the other thing like with everyone's criticism about how anna looked like so of sound in mind and it's like that's actually part of you have (laughs) to to, in in order to make this decision you have to legally that is so crazy to me though because then it's like what if you are in a shitload of pain and yet you are you know like when when you've got like a lot of pain or you're very sick like you can go not insane but like you're not coherent necessarily um that is so unfair to me that those people would be the ones that need it i think this law just gets me riled up i'm curious like if you guys are comfortable and want to talk about it more like i think death with dignity should be a human right i know that's not a you're saying that 75 percent of people in the u.s hold that belief and i think that's amazing because typically in the u.s like it always feels like you're up against the sort of conservative wall where everybody wants to control your body yeah, and your you life and stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for this. I wrote that as one of the things I want to talk about. I just put, how do we feel about right to die, basically. But <laughs> David's like, how do I bring this up? <laughs> because it's, you're an adult. I, I don't know how that would work with kids that are in a lot of pain. That'd probably be something their parents would have to right. speak about or speak to. But mm. you're an adult. It should be your choice how much pain you want to go to or how you go out. If I'm, if something were to happen to me, we just did Hook and Robin Williams, right? So if something like that happened to me where I knew I was going to deteriorate and I wasn't going to be the same David that my loved ones have known their whole lives or my friends have known the past couple of years, and I knew it was going to be a struggle for the next couple of years. Once I started showing signs, if I, if I knew that there's nothing you could do, like I got ALS or something like that, right? Um, yeah. I, I might just go off somewhere. You know, I might not tell anybody, like, not... tell everybody bye, and then right, I, I but, might just be but it, going. It's... But that's why this this act is so important because like you should be able to just be comfortable, you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't just have to go do something walk crazy. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm just to that right. point. It's, but at that time, I would want to go out on my with my yeah. dignity, like Anna did, and say say my goodbyes, clear everything, just say this is how I'm feeling. Um, and I just love the tattoo she had on her back. Uh, what did it say? Oh, it's I so love good. the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night. And I thought that was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, pause, rec- like back up. Um, and I just loved that she had that on her back and that spoke to me a lot. But to... but she she is complicated too. Like I like the scene, Deborah, when they're on the porch and she's like kind of mad because I mm. feel like when you know that you're dying, there is like that seven stages of grieving, right? I, I love that you brought that up because I think that it just shows that it, even though she has made this decision that this is what she's doing, that doesn't mean that she's necessarily happy about it. No. Like, that doesn't mean that she's, that if, if, and I think it just nails the fact that if there was any other thing, like any other solution, she would go for it. But she just is that is she's literally at the end of the, uh, yeah. the end of her rope and you she just doesn't. And I, but I like do. in life. No, but, but I also like, okay, so I was thinking about this, you know, the doctor says like some people get the script and then they never fill it. And Mm. some people pick up the pills and then they never take them. And I, and then I was like, okay, this is me just being, just laughing. But like, (laughs) 
<laughs> Why does she have to uncapsulate a hundred pills? Like I felt like that was like another hurdle where it was like it. So that's Yeah, so yeah. that's that's actually the way you have to do it. That is interesting. That is that is legally how you have to do it in Oregon. I don't know about other states. Um and just to like further emphasize the specificity that we looked at every single aspect of this film. This film, the script and the film before it was released was watched by the like Cancer Society in um, Portland, like the Portland Hospital, as well as the the people who run the Death with Dignity organization in Portland. And and they looked at it and was like, yes, this is this is actually how all I, of so, these things. But that's would have what happened. I'm saying. Like, is there a strategy? Like, is it? I, that I see that two ways, Paris. Because, because one, you, there should be enough hurdles where someone who's just a little bit, de- like, somewhat depressed and having a ton of issues can't just say, like, I, I'm going to do this now. Wait, hold on. You're not terminally ill. You're very clinically depressed. Let's try to get you some help. Move along, right? So the two doctors got to sign off. Um, you know, you got to get couple tests done and then that's like the last one i feel like is kind of unnecessary yeah. that you got to uncapsulate a couple i know I, was, I shouldn't i shouldn't make well, a, joke a joke out of it but i, was uh, like, I thought you were going to talk about like the come on saying, like anna goes yeah i know it's my decision of course it's her decision she's made this decision how many times before she talked to her and she's like, you can, but it's yeah. your decision. People make their own decisions. Yeah. And once I get the script, but, I know but I, I have like, to do it now. No, I can just toss them out the window. But I, but I feel like that's something as well, like throughout the medical community, because I'm thinking of like friends who've wanted to get, um, you know, the tubes tied before they were like, however long. Like I know that there's certain procedures in the U.S. where it's like, yeah, they ask you three times, and like death would be such a big one. Of course. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, I was like, well, what if she's, like, not feeling very well and she doesn't have any friends around and she has to yeah. unbuckle these fucking But it's also interesting herself. for the 100%. movie that I was waiting to see what happened. Like, were they just going to let her do that herself? And then her brother grabbed one. And mm. then her partner grabbed one. And then her brother's girlfriend mm. grabbed one. And they all were there through the whole mm. thing, helping her out each step of the way. And how hard that's got to be for help one of your siblings uh, pass on. Mm-hmm. And open those things. Yeah. Your last exactly. living family member. And just to crack each one of those, knowing, you know, like this, my sister's, like, I'm not going to have anybody left. So that's, um, I thought that was great in the film to show that the family going through that, not just her. And I mean, going back to what you were saying as far as, like, whether or not this is a, um, like, bipartisan issue, whether or not this is, like, a conservative versus like more liberal issue. Like I I think that it's interesting because so we premiered at Napa Film Festival, which is an incredible film festival. It is also the center of like white money in Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. California. I mean, the 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 festival was wonderful, but also the people who went and who were our our first audience was fascinating in so many ways but some of the really wonderful parts of it was that we we had so many people one person in particular that comes across my mind that was a doctor who um was like a you know white man in his early 70s he came up to us after the film like tears streaming down his face and he said how his father had had parkinson's and his father had begged him to write him a prescription for something Mm. that would allow him to end his life and he couldn't do it Mm. and his dad died slowly and painfully over many many months and he said that this film finally gave him the ability to forgive himself for that experience and i mean i'm getting choked up here but like to to hear the fact that we were able to give someone closure on something that's so difficult, like having to, like your parent, you know, Mm -hmm. like coming to you and saying, please help me die in a peaceful way. Like, holy crap. I will make movies all day long for that. You know, (laughs) that's so beautiful. And I can't imagine like how heartbreaking. So, I mean, just, this whole film like really addresses something that like is so hard to look face on. And I think everybody that was involved with it did such a good 
good job and like such a service to the story. So I ha- I cannot say enough amazing things about these actors. Like yeah. this was this is the fourth feature that I've produced and it is the one that I've had the the biggest name actors on and they were the best. Like I would work with any of them in a heartbeat and they um I mean as we've we talked about we shot in 18 days it was you know it was a it was a quick experience and it was um hard in some ways because we were in one location which meant we and we were in an old house which meant that we had two bathrooms to share amongst an entire cast and crew you know like they just went above and beyond as far as like their willingness to also tell the story which is just so special to the entire filmmaking experience so the house was actually in portland which is great Mm -hmm. um what was the area like that you were shooting were you did you make friends with the neighbors were you like sorry we're gonna be here so well so it's funny that you say that because so like maybe three days before we're set to shoot and we're like you know in wild pre-production we start to hear this like really loud hammering and we were like, oh shit. And so we went like three doors up and there was a church that was being demolished. No. (laughs) And so we were like, okay. And so of, of course, like some people started freaking out and I know that, I mean, Paris knows a little bit of my story, but like I worked, I went to Australia to get my master's degree, which is why I lived in in, um, in Australia. And then I worked in construction for three and a half years and had a construction company with my ex-husband. And I ran like uh, engineering surveying on like gas and huge like railway and road projects that were worth millions of dollars. And I learned very quickly how to deal with older men and tell them that they needed to respect me. And also to problem solve, especially in like stressful situations. So everyone else was freaking the fuck out about this sound thing. And I went over to the construction people and I was like, can I please speak to um, like, you know, whoever is in charge, if it's like the construction manager is there or the foreman is there or whoever. And what we ended up doing was scheduling when we were going to be inside the house, when we were going to be outside the house, when they were going to be doing their loud, you know, whatever. They gave us a walkie-talkie awesome. so that I was always in wow. connection with them. And, you know, like, I just would always, I was just like, let's, we're just going to figure this out, guys. Because, like, we're not going to find a new location three days before we're filming. And this place is perfect. And, you know, at the end, like, I bought all of the construction people beer. And, like, they were super happy. And it was, it was totally fine. Like, it was a wonderful experience. And, again, I just think that that comes back to the idea of, like, filmmaking is such a collaborative experience. So, like, let's get everyone involved even if originally it was a problem like let's turn that problem and like make and shoot shoot more stuff in the northwest yeah people are very nice and that's why you're such a good that's why you're such a good producer deborah you're so good at like these things but i know that first and foremost you're an actor right so yes tell us how you even started producing yeah i mean so it's funny because the like very short version is i went to school for acting i mean it's what i've always wanted to do um, I, well, that's not exactly, I went to school for English lit and theater because I was like, I love English literature. I love like, um, like the Bronte sisters. And I'm just like obsessed with that period. And so I, uh, came back to LA after finishing my degrees and ended up talking to a, like audition for a casting director and the cast. And I had a, um, one of my thyroids out when I was in college, um, cause I had a tumor on it and, I had a really pretty gnarly scar after that. And the casting director was like, oh, that scar, you're never going to work in Hollywood. That's <laughs> okay. not. Um, oh God, I yeah. want names. I know, right? I wish I knew who it was. I, like, don't remember who it was anymore. But, of course, like, little naive 
21-year-old self, which, you know, I looked like a 14-year-old because I always look much younger than I am. And so, like, little young 14-year-old Deborah was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I can act, so I guess I'll produce or, like, I'll do something else. So I ended up going to Australia to get a master's in film production um, because a friend was going to school there. And I was like, it's a lot cheaper. I don't have to do my GREs. I'll get to explore a new culture. Why not? Um, So moved to Australia, met my ex-husband, ended up starting this construction company. And then (laughs) I, um, I realized that I was really fucking miserable. And I was so unhappy with my life and I was walking around in the bush for miles and miles and miles doing surveying and I was listening to podcasts this was like the start of when podcasting were a thing about people talking about filmmaking and I was listening to an interview with Bob Odenkirk and he was talking about how he this was like when um uh, I'm like, I, it's so funny that now I only think of Better Call Saul instead of Breaking Bad. Yeah. But this is this is Breaking when Breaking Bad. this is when Breaking Bad was like <laughs> the big you know thing, yeah. and um, and he was talking about how like he had had such a long career, and yet like this was the thing that finally had broken him through, and like all of this stuff. And I just remember listening to him and being like, number one, what the fuck am I doing? And number two, if it takes me like thirty years to like finally break through, I'm okay with that. And I pretty much like very quickly said to my ex-husband, like, I can't, this is not what I want to do. So I moved to Brisbane. I mean, we were still together at the time. I moved to Brisbane. I signed up for a course at NIDA and, you know, like studied at NIDA for six months and then moved to LA. And I was like, this is, this is where I need to be is in LA and not, Um, in Australia. And it's so funny because, of course, now the Australian film industry Mm -hmm. is booming in some ways. But very much at that time, it very much was not. And also, Australians can be very um, insular and clicky when it comes Mm -hmm. especially to their casting. Mm -hmm. And so I, I talked to a lot of agents and managers at the time before I decided to move back to LA. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, you're never going to be hired here like because they will hire every single Australian who can do even a tiny bit of an American accent before they will ever look at you. And wow. I was like, well, I guess I need to move back to L.A. <laughs> well, I mean, they would all probably die to move to L.A., you know, like it's so hard to get a visa. So you're like, right. hey, bye, back I go. But still, all, <laughs> that, all that fuels the fire, right? Um, exactly. I was having so a conversation much. this weekend, and I was like, to be honest, I don't care how long it takes. It's not over until I win, basically. I'm, right. I'm too stubborn to stop. And yeah. if you're passionate about something. So I love that you said, I don't care if it's 30 years, like we're, we're doing this. That's, right. that's it. And you just yeah. keep going. It just, exactly. makes, it just makes you realize as well that like you can be inspired by so many different people and you can inspire so many different people. Like, you know, Bob Odenkirk's podcast that you were listening to, something finally clicked in your brain and you're like, fuck it, I got to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, what makes me sad is when I think about people, because, you know, you and I share that we both lived in Australia and I can say this confidently about Australian, the Australian culture is that we suffer from tall poppy syndrome, which is where it's a syndrome where if you grow up too high, everybody around you will try to cut you down. Um, it's a well-known Australian cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me sad. Crab, oh, well, crabs in a bucket is what something similar oh, they the, say here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's that? So, so a bunch of crabs in a bucket. One's trying to get out, right? And the other crabs will grab them. Or her pull, pull her down, back pull down. down. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just my point was going to be that, like, I know when I was growing up and I always wanted to be in the film industry too, um, it was hard to know that the, the path was possible, you know? And so I think it is important to listen to the people that we admire because it just makes you remember to keep going. Like, it's a war of attrition. Mm-hmm. And also I hope that other people, you know, young people hear it too and, like, you know, we joke about like how it, there's not a lot of money in this business, but like, if this is what you want to do, you should do it. It's the best. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I think that like, there's, there's like, I wouldn't say it's so funny because I actually grew up in LA. Like I grew up in East LA in the suburbs of like a very like poor ish neighborhood. Like I was Um, like I would say that as a white kid, I was in the minority at the school. And as a Jew, I was 100% like my sister and I were the only Jews at a, 
high school of like 25,000 or 25,000. Good Lord. Like, that's a damn, huge school. I went to a stadium. <laughs> 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> I went to college. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, it was, I was, it was a very poor school of 25,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2,500. Good Lord. Um, and so it was just like, it's so funny because I have people now who have said to me like, oh man, it's so, you're so lucky that you like grew up in LA. And I'm like, I, I didn't, I did not know that this was a career like at mm, all. And I am so worlds away. And I'm so grateful for the fact that like I did my Berkeley thing, that I went to Australia, that I got my master's, that I did construction, like all of those sorts of things just led me back to what I'm doing today. And mm. I I would say that, I mean, honestly, only in the past, like, like I've been at LA now for six and a half, almost seven years. And I would say maybe only in the last three or four years have I actually been able to say, I want to be a household name. I want to continue to produce and be a lead on a show and be a fucking badass so that everyone knows who yeah. I am. And But that that has taken so long for me to be able to say that. And I think that that's also okay, that it takes us a while yeah. to like – find that realization and I think that it's interesting because the only reason that I've had that realization is because I've had conversations with friends of mine who are also in the industry and they've said no I'm like perfectly okay just like doing theater every you know six months and they're still in LA they're acting like this is still their thing but they would also be perfectly happy just just doing theater or just doing indie films or whatever and like I want to be a fucking superhero. So I think that there's like, you know, but I think it's so important to like actually know, like I want to be an actor and what does that mean? Yeah. Like what kind of actor? Like really dial yeah. into that because that will just like elevate you. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're not a little scared in LA and you're like, when is my turn? Then what are you even in LA? Like mm-hmm. if, you, if you wake up every day with a shitload of confidence, like I don't know you, we live in different LA's, you know? Yeah. I, I want to see those people chugging their iced coffees with anxiety as they scroll deadline <laughs> to try and figure out, you know, what's going on. No, I was just going to say, I do think that there's something really val like valuable in the struggle. Um, like I certainly am not someone who, who thinks that we should, um, romanticize struggling as far as like living in your car or whatever. Like I am all for having a steady job that will give you income and allow you to eat and not, you know, waste away in, you know, whatever, an actor hovel. Like I am all for like protecting yourself and taking care of yourself. Uh, an actor hovel is such a good way to describe it. I've walked into so many hovels in my life in this right. town. Sorry. Yes. Right. Yes. No, you're absolutely but, right. Nobody I, wants to live in a hovel. Nobody right? wants to do that. Yeah. But I do think that there's also like on the other side, there's like the people who have, who've like made it very quickly. And I think that they very quickly, don't um appreciate it and they and they are very quickly like oh this is what this is what filmmaking actually is at a high level like no thanks this is not actually what I want to do and then they're not filmmakers anymore or they're not actors or whatever the struggle is like so much part of the process I feel Mm -hmm. and the people you meet along the way too you know like when you look at some of these a-list celebrities that have known each other for 10 years before they make it, it's because they were all on the comedy circuit or they were all in the same sort of short films and stuff. So right. I like to look around my network and think like, well, it's not that we're all not famous. It's just that we're not famous yet. Like exactly. we're not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then it's going to be so easy to make movies in the future because we'll just have the whole crew ready to go. Everybody, I movie. believe in that. Grown up <laughs> through the rank. Did want to hit again though. I did very much appreciate the acting in this film too. Um, with the you know smaller cast, more intimate, and you know we have the Zack Snyder cuts and the monster three-hour movies with huge productions and multiple you know this and that. But I do like to uh, this this kind of movie makes me grounded. Um, like as an actor, when I watch it again, because mm. I'm turning everything off, and I'm like I I know I'm gonna watch some acting in this movie, and and yeah, mm. it's like more. Yeah, it's yeah. more personal. You hit the nail on the head. I agree with you. I like watching these types of movies too because I can see the mm-hmm. art behind a film, which I can't necessarily see, 
you know, in every big blockbuster, because then you're just yeah. like taking in the spectacle. But with a mo- with a movie like this, you're drilling into your feelings. And I felt so much shit in this movie. <laughs> oh my god, I was like, why, why are you doing this to me, Deborah? Why? Oh um, man, yeah. I felt but- a lot of shit producing it. Oh, I'm like, sure. <laughs> good lord, there was, was there was definitely. Yeah. Was there emotion on set? Like people reacting oh, to the material? I mean, me. Like me being an actor. Being an actor, number yeah. one, watching these incredible performances, but also being completely involved in the storytelling as it's happening. I mean, the 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 scenes, any like the scene with Joe and Anna holding hands where he, exp- where he like explains the definition and then mm. the end scene. I mean, both times I had to run out of the house mm. sobbing because I was just like could not hold it together. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> well, yeah, you win some, you lose right. some. <laughs> yeah, invoke something in you. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's a gorgeous film. I am Thank so grateful that so it's much. out now. I think everybody should watch it, especially if you want to have a little cry because it's very cathartic. Um, but also, but also if you just want to watch a film that like is just put together with a lot of heart, I think people will enjoy this movie but we do this thing at the end of our episode i don't know if you saw deborah where we thank uh and acknowledge someone from the crew that might not otherwise be you know recognized it's a collaborative effort as you said david who do you have i'm gonna go with uh emily is it boo her mm-hmm. uh, she is a uh, music department so nice. i'm gonna Ooh, go the with her great. that's yeah. what i'm saying so uh Love the acting, and then if you can just throw a little bit of, uh, uh, you know what I mean, elevates just it. Caress me a little bit and just suck me into that. Uh, I'm all here for it. So Emily, we appreciate you, and we see you. Thank we you. See for, you, and we appreciate you. Yeah, Thank your you, contributions. Emily. Deborah, who you got? It's so funny that you say that because I'm I'm also I'm gonna give a shout out to our composer. Um, mm. A little a little behind the scenes with this film is that we. We actually had two post cuts because I wasn't originally the the producer on post mm-hmm. and the, the original producer ended up stepping away from the film. And so when I came and saw the film as it was in post, I was like, I'm not totally happy with this. So I ended up starting the post team from scratch and mm. the composer that we hear his music and we worked actually with Emily throughout the whole thing, but the, the composer who we, who is Sean Barrett, he is a friend of mine. He also did the music for Shasta Triangle. He, I will hire for all of my composition. He's absolutely brilliant. And um, I went to him and was like, we have like almost no budget <laughs> help us. And he was, he was like, ab- and originally we actually only hired him for like a couple small scenes. We were like, can you just take the, like the composition as it is and like try and blend it and whatever. And then he was finally like, I'm just going to compose the whole thing. And you're like, <laughs> God bless you. Um, so yeah, shout out to Sean Barrett, our amazing composer. I love it. Well, I am going to shout out Jade Harris. She was the production designer on this film. And I thought the production design in this was really cute. And uh, like I said, the boxes like really tugged at the heartstrings and Mm -hmm. she just, she made every room look amazing. I will also shout out, and I don't know how much this is her, how much it was Anna, how much it was the cinematographer, but that opening scene of this film is in this sort of like green hospital and it's like pretty much silent. Anna's just nodding and there's music. I guess it's a team effort. It's a, it's a film after all, but I just, that first shot will suck you in. And I feel like uh, Jade had some, some hand in that. I just thought it was really great. So mm-hmm. Jade Harris, we see you and we appreciate we you. We appreciate you. I, um, I do have one more thing. Go. Thing. So I did want to talk about the final end scene, right? We see, mm. see Anna on the bed, eyes closed in her girlfriend's lap. And then you see the camera kind of come out of the window, pause for a second, almost like one last look at my life. And then it kind of goes off into the into the town Mm -hmm. so there was that uh talk outside with the with the whole group about where do we go what happens after death so Mm -hmm. when you are watching this movie everybody's listening just to you know take a moment you you know the movie's pretty pretty much over but they're still they're still hitting something home right there exactly so i really like how that was finished so there is you know we said you said it was hopeful it ended as hopeful so i I like how you phrased that because i did like the ending so awesome. well, th- well then, 
guys, do you think this movie has aged like milk? <laughs> this movie, this movie that came out one year ago. <laughs> David, I'll let you go uh, first. I, I do not. But let's let's re, let's talk in ten years. I was going to say when we're all award winners, and, right? Yeah. Uh, and let's uh, let's let's revisit. This wait, 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 let's talk in ten years when hopefully this is such as it's so weird that we thought this was weird because it's completely legal in every yeah. state and worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when it would be the age like milk. We're like, why yeah. are we even talking about this? And like yeah. parties, yeah. parties are the norm for this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah that. exactly. Cele- celebrating life. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I love that. Deborah, do you think this movie has age like milk? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree. I think we need to talk about this in like, you know, another 10 years and mm-hmm. see, see what happens. I'm also hoping that like, that this film will continue to give Anna the opportunity to do more and more dramas. Oh, I love Anna Camp as a drama mm-hmm. actress. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about Anna. Like, it's also funny because in our business, you know, like you're always like one step away from whoever. And uh, yeah, so I don't want to say anything weird, but like, I seriously love this woman. Like, mm. I, I think I fell in love with her in Pitch Perfect, which is, mm. I think, when a few of us fell in love with her. But like, yeah, her comic timing and then to see her in this movie, I just was like giving her finger snaps all the way through the film. She did such a good job. So yes, yeah. let's get more Anna in drama roles, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, BTS with this is the fact that I actually, the reason that she was cast, besides the fact that she got the script, but the reason that the director was actually like, sure, I'll look at Anna because most people think of her with Pitch Perfect mm-hmm. is the fact that I had seen her in a drama that she had done at the Pasadena Playhouse a week before a like first date had taken me to this play that she was starring in where she ends up going crazy and um, her and her her husband like ends up murdering her and there's like a divorce and all this stuff. First date, but that was- <laughs> <laughs> He like turns to you and he's like, getting any ideas he was like his life right he was like oh god i'm so sorry um but but i saw her and i was like she's fucking brilliant and so when the casting director approached her approached us with her our direct our tim was originally like i don't know i don't know if she can pull it off and i was like she absolutely can i just saw her go crazy and like fucking nail this performance that's so funny i feel like you can even see in pitch perfect that she has such range like those movies i just think is so funny i know you wouldn't turn to like a film class and be like today class we're going to be studying pitch perfect you know but you can tell like anna could really play like a psycho so well because that like craziness she gets behind her eyes in those movies um so i could totally see that she has an amazing range so mm-hmm. i've always been a fan like i said yeah. um i'll introduce you one day one day we'll grab a coffee um yeah. well now to my verdict of whether or not this film has aged like milk i'm gonna go with also no it hasn't it's fresh as fuck <laughs> fresh from the cow teat um i definitely think everybody should watch this film i think it's beautiful i think it's sad i think it's yeah. real and humble um, Deborah, if you have, yeah. so if someone was listening to this podcast and they were like, I just need like a piece of advice to get started in the industry or, or something hopeful, what would you tell them? Um, to find your tribe early and, and to really, um, continue to build on that, but to also, you know, stick, stick with those people who are good to you and, and you be good to them. Cause that's just so important. Deborah, where can people find you? Everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram and the Twitter. Um, the Twitter. At, the Twitter at Deborah <laughs> underscore L Smith. And I'm on Facebook and I have a, pod, a mental health podcast that comes out every Mondays called More Than You See that you can find on all podcasting platforms. And um, yeah, Here A While is available on Hulu and Amazon Prime and iTunes and Voodoo and all of the, you know, all of the SVOD, you know, pay for subscription or, or other things, many, many different things, many things. Yeah. Everybody get it. Yeah. It's free on Hulu. Um, which I was like, this is amazing. Cause we never get all the new movies all the time for free, Yeah, but yeah, it's a great film. We feel so blessed to have you on the fresh milk session. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I think it's just cool as well. Like when we talk about these old movies, like some of the people who've worked on them, like are no longer working. And here we are talking about a film in real time. Get to experience you while you're here still. (laughs) 
<laughs> for now anyways yeah. <laughs> maybe in 10 years you guys are gonna be doing this podcast without me in but, memoriam you know, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Doc. Are we, are Doc. we ending on that note? Yeah. Oh, good Lord. No. Um, but yeah, guys, everybody connects with Deborah. She's the best. We connected on Clubhouse, which true. is an app that I'm not 100% sold on. Um, I don't think I've... I. I actually led a Clubhouse talk today that mm. was fucking amazing. And oh. we had several people who reached out to us who said that it was the best clubhouse conversation that they had heard so far wow i mean is that very curated for you guys or like because i think it was you get a lot of randoms and then people just like talking about themselves and you're like yeah i mean it was it was a (laughs) it was an indie filmmaking panel and we made sure that all of the moderators actually knew what we, they were talking about. And so it was, and like I Like a kept, little more screened. Yeah, it was very screened. We made sure that the conversations were like direct and to the point and that people, if they didn't know the answer to the question, they said, you know, I don't actually know the answer to that because I think that is very important in this industry is mm. to know what you know and know what you don't know. And then to figure out the things that you don't know so that you can also tell other people the things that you don't know that you now know. Like, yeah. I think that's yeah. really important. Nobody wants to Nobody wants to be the person that says that though. So that's really cool. Yeah, and that's, um, fre- that's refreshing that people are actually, you know, can say that and say, you know what? I don't know this thing. Exactly. But yeah, connect with Deborah. Always amazing to have female filmmakers with us. Um, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it having me it was such a pleasure yay um yeah everybody listen to deborah's uh podcast say the name one more time deborah more than you see more than you see everybody listen to that everybody go watch this movie follow her career she's coming um but david you should check the fridge and make sure it's not spoiled no that is it we talked about this (laughs) just uh two days ago i don't know um (laughs) don't drink spoiled milk thanks for listening to our show we will figure out the ending one day very soon bye bye bye